Hello, my zebras and spoonies. Thank you for hanging out with me today, and I am glad that you are here. When you have chronic illness, it isn't uncommon to have problems with electrolyte imbalances. Because of that, I have decided to do a series that talks about what they are, how the body uses them, and things that we can do to manage our electrolytes. For the next several weeks, I will make a post aiming for Wednesdays about one of the electrolytes. So hey, let's get into it. Today we're going to be talking about calcium. Calcium is the most abundant mineral in the human body with 99% of it being within the bones and the teeth. It also helps the body maintain neuroconduction. This means that calcium is essential for the normal muscle movement and for your heart to function properly. Normal lab values for calcium range from 8.5 to 10.2. Hypercalcemia is a condition in which the calcium level in your blood is above normal or greater than 10.2. Too much calcium in your blood can weaken your bones, can create kidney stones, and interfere with how your heart and your brain function. This is most often caused by dysfunction of the parathyroid gland. However, there are other possible causes which include cancers, tuberculosis, sarcoidosis, familiar hypocalcuric hypercalcemia, which I have probably said wrong, immobility and severe dehydration. Immobility and severe dehydration are another pair of common causes for hypercalcemia. Medications can also cause hypercalcemia. Lithium is the drug that causes this the most often because it stimulates the parathyroid hormone. But it can also happen with calcium-based antacids because oversupplementation can also cause hypercalcemia. Hypercalcemia does not always produce symptoms. This is often true when it is a mild case. In more severe cases, the symptoms will present based on which part of the body is being affected by the high levels of calcium, and it really varies between people. For the kidneys, excess calcium makes your kidneys work harder to filter it. This can cause excessive thirst and frequent urination. The digestive system. Hypercalcemia can cause stomach upset, nausea, vomiting, and constipation. Bones and muscles. In most cases, the excess calcium in your blood was leached from your bones, which weakens them. This can cause bone pain and muscle weakness. Brain. Hypercalcemia can interfere with how your brain works, resulting in confusion, lethargy, and fatigue. It can also cause symptoms of depression. The heart. Rarely, severe hypercalcemia can interfere with your heart function, causing palpitations and fainting, indications of cardiac arrhythmia, and other heart problems. If left untreated, hypercalcemia can lead to serious consequences. Osteoporosis. If your bones continue to release calcium into your blood, you can develop the bone thinning disease osteoporosis, which could lead to bone fractures, spinal column curvature, and loss of height. Kidney stones. If your urine contains too much calcium, crystals might form in your kidneys. Over time, the crystals can combine to form kidney stones. Passing a stone can be extremely painful. Kidney failure. Severe hypercalcemia can damage your kidneys, limiting their ability to cleanse the blood and eliminate fluid. 
nervous system problems. Severe hypercalcemia can lead to confusion, dementia, and coma, which can be fatal. Abnormal heart rhythms or arrhythmia. Hypercalcemia can affect the electrical impulses that regulate your heartbeat, causing your heart to beat irregularly. Hypocalcemia is when you have too little calcium in your blood or less than 8.5. In most cases, this is an asymptomatic problem and is only diagnosed through lab work. Even when it is asymptomatic, it comes with a risk of causing long-term problems. This is one of the many reasons that most primary care providers will make lab work part of the annual physical. In more severe cases of hypocalcemia, symptoms will present. Those symptoms are primarily neurological and include twitching, numbness, tingling, symptoms of depression, memory loss, dry skin, changes in the nails, rough texture of the hair, muscle cramps, seizures, and abnormal heartbeats. Usually, hypocalcemia happens when large amounts of calcium are put out when you urinate or too little calcium enters your blood from your bones. This could be caused by certain genetic factors, vitamin deficiencies, or other conditions. Some of the reasons these, either of these things can happen, hypoparathyroidism. The parathyroids are located near the thyroid gland in the back of the neck. The parathyroids make a hormone called parathyroid hormone, which regulates the amount of calcium in your body. Hypocalcemia is when you make lower levels of the parathyroid hormone than you need, which causes you to also make less calcium. Pseudohypoparathyroidism. This is a genetic disorder where your body cannot react to the parathyroid hormone. This disorder causes you to make too little calcium, which sends your body into hypocalcemia. Being born without parathyroid glands. Some people are simply born without parathyroid glands, a condition like di George syndrome, which is when you are missing a part of chromosome 22, can also cause you to have smaller than normal parathyroid glands. Hypomagnesemia. This is when you have an abnormally low level of magnesium in the blood, and lower amounts of magnesium in your, in your bud, body reduce your abilities of the parathyroid hormone to do their job. Vitamin D deficiency. Vitamin D is a steroid that helps to maintain normal calcium levels. Lower amounts of vitamin D make your body's calcium absorption levels drop. This usually happens if you are malnourished or do not have enough sun exposure in your life. Kidney issues. Having any sort of renal failure or kidney disease constantly drains the level of calcium in your blood. Calcium deficiency. If you don't consume enough calcium or have disorders that interfere with your body's ability to absorb calcium, this can lead to hypocalcemia. Pancreatitis. This condition refers to when your pancreas becomes inflamed. New research has found that often the body's protective responses to pancreatitis cause hypocalcemia. And then, of course, we need to keep in mind that medications can also cause hypocalcemia. Drugs like rifampin, which is an antibiotic, and phenotin or phenobarbital, which are anti-seizure drugs, can cause this. Additionally, medicines that fight bone cancers and other bone issues are also linked to hypocalcemia. 
So it's important to know what medications you're taking and what their side effects are. So how much calcium do you need every day? Well, that depends on your age and your sex. For men, 19 to 70 years old, it's recommended to have 1,000 milligrams a day. For men 71 and older, it's recommended to have 1,200 milligrams a day. For women aged 19 to 50 years old, it's recommended to have 1,000 milligrams a day. And for women 51 years and older, to have 1,200 milligrams a day. The recommended upper limit for calcium is 2,500 milligrams a day for adults aged 19 to 50. And for those 51 years and older, the limit is 2,000 milligrams a day. Supplementing calcium. So even if you eat a healthy, balanced diet, you might find it difficult to get enough calcium if you're following a vegan diet. If you have lactose intolerance and you need to limit dairy products, if you consume large amounts of protein or sodium, which can cause your body to excrete more calcium, if you are receiving long-term treatment with corticosteroids, um, or if you have certain bowel or digestive diseases that decrease your ability to absorb calcium, such as inflammatory bowel disease or celiac disease. Common calcium supplements can be labeled as calcium carbonate, which is 40% elemental calcium, calcium citrate, which is 21% elemental calcium, calcium gluconate, which is 9% elemental calcium, and calcium lactate, which is 13% elemental calcium. The two main forms of calcium supplements are carbonate and citrate. Calcium carbonate is the cheapest and therefore often a good first choice. However, it is important to keep the other options in mind as everyone is different and you may find that your body absorbs different kinds of supplements better than others. Generally, calcium supplements don't cause people's side effects, but on occasion, they can cause gas, constipation, and bloating. In general, calcium carbonate is the most constipating. So if you're having these problems, you may want to try a different kind. You may also want to switch to a different kind if you're having a difficult time raising your levels adequately. Your body must be able to absorb the calcium for it to be effective. All varieties of calcium supplements are better absorbed when they're taken in small doses, 500 milligrams or less, and if they're taken at mealtime. Calcium citrate is absorbed equally well when taken with or without food, and it is a form recommended for individuals with low stomach acid, more common in people over 50 or taking acid blockers, um, or for people with inflammatory bowel disease or absorption disorders. Additionally, vitamin D promotes calcium absorption from the gut. If you take a vitamin D supplement, it is helpful to take vitamin D and calcium together. If you are not taking a vitamin D supplement, consider having your vitamin D level checked as it may be a factor in your low calcium level. Calcium interacts with a bunch of other medications, affecting the way that those medications are absorbed. Because of that, it is really essential that you talk to your pharmacist about which medications you need to avoid taking at the same time as your calcium supplement. You should avoid taking calcium at the same time as taking an iron supplement as just one example. 
A final note on calcium supplementation is that there is some research out there to reflect that there is an increased risk of heart attacks and prostate cancer when taking high levels of calcium. This risk is seen more in those using supplementation than in getting their calcium through diet. If you have other risk factors for these diseases, discuss the risks and benefits of calcium supplementation with your doctor. Getting calcium from your diet. Most people think of dairy products when they think of high calcium food, and that's not wrong. Milk, yogurt, and cheeses are good sources of dairy, but not everyone can eat dairy. In fact, dairy is a common allergy, intolerance, and food trigger, so many people can't use dairy as their calcium source. So I'm going to focus my discussion here on where else you can get dairy in your diet. Canned fish are calcium powerhouses. One serving of sardines in oil has 569 milligrams of calcium. One serving of canned salmon with bones has 232 milligrams of calcium, not to mention a lot of other great nutrients such as proteins and healthy fats. The key here is that you need to get the kinds of canned fish that still have the bones and you need to eat those bones. Seeds are another nutritional powerhouse. One serving of poppy seeds packs 127 milligrams of calcium. Sesame seeds is going to get you 88 milligrams of calcium. Sunflower seeds, 109 milligrams of calcium. These also offer proteins and healthy fats, plus they're also rich in iron and magnesium. They also offer the added bonus of, not, of only eat, needing a small amount to get their benefits. A serving of most seeds is only one tablespoon. White beans are another good source. One serving can offer a pretty decent amount. Cantonelli beans is 55 milligrams and navy beans is 47 milligrams. They may not seem like much, but in one cup of beans, you're getting about 5% of the recommended daily amount for an adult. Not the best source, but not too shabby either. Almonds are another powerhouse at 246 milligrams of calcium per cup. Almonds are a great snack that contain healthy fats, fiber, magnesium, and vitamin E in addition to that calcium. Leafy greens are incredibly healthy and many of them are high in calcium, including collard greens, spinach, and kale. For instance, one cup of cooked collard greens has 260 eight milligrams of calcium. Something to keep in mind though, is that spinach is high in other compounds that makes it more difficult for our bodies to absorb that calcium. Thus, of the three, collard and kale greens offer the most bioavailable calcium. And fortified foods like cereals can offer uh, other options for getting your daily calcium needs. Uh, there are more and more foods being fortified with calcium all the time. And while this isn't the best option for absorption, it is something to keep in mind when you're trying to get more calcium into your diet. Your PCP, your primary care provider or PCP, really will be your best ally when managing any supplement. They will be the person that will monitor your lab work. They're going to write those orders. And you need that lab work to make sure that your supplementation is meeting your goals. They're going to be the ones that will help you make sure that you're taking the right amount of the supplement. Not to mention, it is most likely going to be your PCP who is helping you manage those underlying conditions that is causing you to have to take a supplement in the first place. 
it is also possible that your supplements could interact with medications that you are taking. Your PCP and your pharmacist are your best allies for monitoring these possible interactions. So it is super important to keep your doctor in the loop whenever you are adding supplements of any kind into your treatment plan. Well, I hope that you found this uh, installment of our electrolyte series useful, and I hope that you have some information that can help you in the supplementation process and the modification of your diet and can help you in the conversation that you should be having with your PCP. So thank you for coming and hanging out with me today. I hope to see you again, and I hope that you do well until then. And I hope to see you next week when I have my next installment of the Electrolyte series. Thanks again for hanging out with me today.